I'm Jeff Cook. And I'm TJ Wilson. And this is Around the Circle. I'm walking slowly. It's a map of the human personality. It's a tool for navigating relationships. It creates language for what motivates us and helps us to look at the way we look at everything else. Most importantly, the Enneagram is a mirror because sometimes you need help seeing yourself. My name is Jeff Cook. I'm a philosopher in Greeley, Colorado. With me is TJ Wilson, businessman, lover of theology, and Enneagram Ninja. Hello. My man. Hey. We're going to jump back in here with Chase Barron. Chase is a very thoughtful Enneagram 7 student of the Enneagram himself, and uh, we're going to pick up our conversation from um, last time. Kind of changing the uh, area here, but where does our where do our types come from? Do you mean, like, where did we learn this system, or, like, how do our types form in us? Yeah, exactly. How do, how do our types form in us? Uh, the nature-nurture debate. Uh, I am firmly in the middle in the sense that uh, I believe that we are born into the world with a certain kind of disposition. Um, we are affected by the world around us and sort of like, so if we're like leaning in this direction and the world around us shapes us, then we come out a nine. But I, I think all of that happens so early that, that if, if it is more nurture than nature, I don't think we'll ever really be able to see it. So I'm, I only get a chance to talk philosophy occasionally. And when I get my chance, the, there's a metaphysical question here in terms of what makes you, you, are you just a body? Are you a body and a mind? Are you a body, a mind and a soul? Some traditions have it that you're only a soul and that you're dreaming. It's taking a step back, what are you is a question here. So if you are only a physical body, then something has to happen between conception and when your, your brain begins to develop in whatever patterns it does, and it takes the shape that it takes, and your type would emerge. So if that's the case, then, you know, it's, it's going to be your genetics plus the nurturing side. And that nature-nurture sort of question comes into play. My own tradition, I believe in a creator God and that has intentions, and I think that God created you I, get, I think that God created this universe, and one of the reasons God created this universe and not a different one is because you're in it. And God envisioned the story and said, I can't imagine creating a universe without Chase. Chase is so essential to the story that I want to unfold. And part of Chase being Chase is your sevenness. And so for me, that's where type comes in. It's a name. It's like all language. It's just a name that we give to one of the elements of ourselves. It can have real value, but the, that name is applied to the characteristics, to the motives that the person Chase will eventually have when Chase comes into being. That's how I choose to, th to see it. But that's a metaphysical question, and metaphysics generally is assumed. It's not proven. Mm. The short answer to that question is we don't know because of babies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, babies, they're complicated. Yeah. Do so on that note, do you can answer either of these. Do animals and or plants have types? 
It depends a lot on who you ask. Uh, I think it's a factual question, yeah. I'm, I think there are a lot of people who will <laughs> vehemently say yes. Uh, and I think, I think realistically, like, like, sure. Yeah. My, our, we have a dog and she is so, 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 so similar to my wife. And like, there's, there's so much sickness about her. Like she, just the way that she is in the world, she's always like apologizing for being there and just wants to be like helpful and make sure that nobody's mad at her. And, um, the, but realistically, like, we anthropomorphize our pets so much that, like, I, I'd be fine with being proven wrong about this, but I have a hard time believing that, that our pets are s- sophisticated enough to actually have type. We started with, what is Enneagram? Enneagram's a theory about motive. I suppose the question is, do plants have motives? Or do animals have motives? I think animals probably do have motives. Maybe you can name them. Um, would their motives, if you could name them and categorize them, would it end up being helpful? You know, on a secondary side, oftentimes questions of these sorts are really fun and they get us off the, the path of Enneagram. Really? If you get into it, it's, it's designed to, it's, it's like, uh, you need to do some pushups. You need to do some leg lifts. <laughs> you know, it's, re- it's really about yeah. when it becomes real valuable and not just, um, trivia, it, it's mm-hmm. it's about transformation. So always make the first things first, I suppose, is, is a footnote there. Yeah, so if it's yeah. about growth and transformation, then who cares if if plants and animals have type? Unless unless you really want your dog to get to that next <laughs> level. Um, no, but, but no, I had to ask because, uh, Jeff, when you talk about, you know, the, the natural energy mm-hmm. of all things and the balance and the higher power, there does come a question about is there also a balance to... Animals, plants. One of my favorite philosophers thinks that trees have souls. And get, I'm in the midst of trying to get my head around that. So if you have a soul, if you have, well, do you have consciousness? And does your consciousness allow you to make, to choose this over that? And if it does, that's where motive lies. It's, it's like the, at the bedrock of who we are as personalities is our ability to choose this and not that. And why we choose is is motive. But in that same vein, my, one of my favorite philosophers thinks that droids have souls. So droids are fictional beings, <laughs> and droids have souls. Droids, <laughs> droids have souls. Droids definitely have souls. <laughs> um, so, does our culture reward some types more than others? Oh heck yes, yeah, absolutely. I I think all cultures are going to reward types that represent their values ours strongly celebrates uh three threeness and uh particularly male eights i think this is true it's also the case that our culture has gotten really good at cutting down threes and male eights because they've seen their crap on tv for a bit Mm. you know and i see this a lot with but you you can name famous people and i have guesses of what they're types are given their behavior. But when people, when people who know nothing about the Enneagram start talking about this person, who's a narcissist, you know, this person whose anger is focused in a very self-indulgent way, you know, the, I, I suppose I, I can see ones who've gotten cut down in the public sphere and a lot of the double standards that ones can have 
come out and it's obvious to all the rest of us watching them on TV, but it's just completely a blind spot to the one that's on the TV that they have huge double standards, which is a failing of a lot of ones. And, and different cultures then reward and tear down different numbers, you yeah, think? Or is absolutely. it? Yeah. And, and we're, we're all, you know, white males in, in the United States in 2022 for a couple more days. And we have been steeped in our Western culture and in the ideas that, that are propagated by the people around us, by what success looks like, by, by what drives what, what's important in family and whatnot. And I think that, that there are other cultures out there that we have no idea about and, and the things that they celebrate. Mm. Families are, are so much bigger in Latin American culture than in anything that I grew up in personally. And, and so there, there might be like two, three, four type of, or even just two, four type of celebration of, of, of these qualities in, in more Latin American families. And yeah, there's, there's just so much in other cultures that we don't really understand, particularly because we're looking at it through our own cultural lens. Mm. Yeah. I've been really interested to read some and and hear some about uh, Suzanne Stabile and Russ Hudson in particular teaching in, uh, in Asia, in, in Japan and, um, and the, the difference of, of what kinds of things are valued over there. It's just different than it is here. Yeah, yeah. And even here, you can find uh, subcultures that Mm, praise different types. And that's where I struggle as a seven because it seems like every subculture that I can find that praises sevens is also like very closely tied to, you know, try to go to a bar and not see slogans that try to convince everybody that they're a seven. Um, Right. (laughs) It's really really phenomenal. Um, yeah. And then I'm sure, I don't know, you, you, I'm sure you have your own cultures, like even TJ, like there's, it's not surprising that you wound up in a coffee shop. I mean, right. It seems like that's a culture that, um, would value a lot of what nines bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I agreed that I like the distinction between here's what the culture values and here's what the family values. My family is much more of a Oklahoma, Texas, you know, uh, lineage and self-reliance is a high value. Mm. It, um, being famous, being successful, being out there, this is not a high value, um, for, for my family in those ways. However, and, uh, when Sean Palmer and I, another Enneagram scholar end up nerding out on history, I, I want to say we're convinced that every president prior to Biden and after Carter is a three. And that it just assumed that that was true for a half minute. That would be interesting. And when we talk about the dynamics of, of our country and what we want in leadership, we, can, we, we go for these aspirational um, folks who have their, you know, their physical look and what they want to convey. Just, they're just highly aware you know, of the TV screen, you know, of, of, of looking successful. Whereas China and Russia do not cho- choose threes, they choose eights. And part of the dynamic of those sorts of authoritarian cultures ends up being very much coming out of the type of leaders that they want to embody the head, you know, as it were, of their, of their state. And real interesting elements there. Um, I would argue that Washington's probably a three. Who else is probably a three on these fronts? We had a lot of sevens early in the, I I think Kennedy and 
Roosevelt or Sevens, but the long story short, I think recently, since the 80s, we, we just have wanted that person. And I think that's interesting in terms of culture and what... what uh, is, it, is it the case... Here's the, here would be a flip question. I don't think our culture wants everybody to be a three. Well, I, I, not necessarily that we want everyone to be a three, but, but the things that make a three a quote-unquote successful three are celebrated, yeah. and they're celebrated early and often. I guess that's it. We, yeah. Our economic system doesn't reward twos. Right, right. And, and even like in school, in peer groups, and in like just growing up in the United States, looking at, at what things are, are valued, what things are, are said, like these are important and you should learn how to do this, there's like three and, and male eights. Yeah. And I mean, sevens wind up with money, but that's usually by accident. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they blow it after they, they get it too. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so, so, um, looking at the, the societal, uh, expectations and then also the familial roles, um, I, I know several people and particularly female friends of mine who struggle to know their type because they're not sure if they are their type or if this is the type that their family or their culture has expected them to be and they've just lived up to it. And a lot of time that's that's Tunis. So the real question is, how do you know if you've found the right type for yourself or if you are just fulfilling a role that your society or family expects of you? I think this uh, this comes back to what we were talking about in the very beginning, that, that it's a lot about self-awareness and becoming more and more in tune with, with your own behavior and particularly your unconscious behavior and uh, bringing in other people that you trust to tell you the truth about yourself because a lot of times we can't really see these things. Um, there's, there's so much, the, the other side of us celebrating threes and eights is that, that we, and it, it's just another way of sort of trying to force people into boxes. And so like it, particularly female twos are taught they're supposed to be a certain way. And mm-hmm. because that's, that's the values that they were given. And then they, become 20 something and they find out, oh, they're they're They don't actually care about these things at all. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, but sometimes when you have sort of given over so much to these types of personality traits, to, to taking on someone else's expectations, it takes a lot of work, a lot of introspection and a lot of really helpful guidance from other people to get you to see that you were trying to fit a, a square peg into this round hole. And if you stop, you'll be free. If, if you wanted to be sure that you typed yourself correctly, what is one way to know that you're on the right track? For me, it has been uh, reading, d- continually consuming material, hearing more and more people talk about their experience, and then it's sort of like trying on glasses, seeing if that fits. Um, I, I tell this story often. I was reading Beatrice Chestnut's uh, big book with the purple tree, and I had an existential crisis for two days because I was certain from her reading of, from her presentation of a certain type of two that I had mistyped myself as a nine when I was actually a two. And and just getting, 
allowing yourself to go through that process, but continually coming back to what is my ultimate, like, what do I really want? And, and the thing that, that snapped me out of that, that crisis was, oh yeah, twos actually care what other people think about them. I don't, I don't care what other people think about me the way that twos do. And so no, that like it just keep coming back to that, that sort of center. What is your primary motivation? If, if it's right, it, it will feel right when you come back to it every time. Yeah, I agree. Hearing other people share their stories and having that deep ping, oh, that's who I, that's, that's what I'm like. That is exactly how I navigate the world is valuable. Also, as a secondary, and not a lot of work has been done on this front, but there is a scientific side that desires a lot of work at the at the college at the university level and that would be does the enneagram have predictive power if it does then then it's anchored in something in reality but in my experience the fact that i don't know um when i type i don't know certain truths about ones but then i stumble upon them and they actually predicted you know, but my behavior 10 years ago, 12 years ago, like it's like, oh, there it is. That's why I routinely did X, Y, and Z. You know, I'm really excited for New Year's. New Year's is a time to get on a list out here, all the ways that I'm going to make my life better and, and move, move all this stuff forward. It's just, it's like we're celebrating improvements. Five years ago, there have well, been 10 years ago when I didn't know the Enneagram, that's how I did New Year's. I mean, it's just obvious in, in my mind and heart now that it's a very one way of coming to what really is just a date on a calendar and my interpretation of it in terms of how our, our culture celebrates it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And for for a seven after this ridiculously chaotic holiday yeah. season and I'm flying to one, I'm also very excited to get my life in order because I'm <laughs> getting stressed out. Get get everything back on track. Well, it's you're you're on vacation, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's brutal. <laughs> so you're you're expressing actually what may be a healthy side to your sevenness. It's that you're resting. It's time to re- recharge a little bit, and you're using some of those tools in your stress number to to get yourself grounded as you push back in. Especially with aggressive types, with three sevens and eights, I, they those those are the sorts that I think really push into their stress numbers a lot during vacation time, as it were. And just like my three wife, just wants to get off stage, hang at the house. My eight child just wants to go into their bedroom away from school. They don't need to be in control right now. Get on Discord. And I'm I'm on Discord, and I'm in a working adult. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about it. So All right. Um, we were kind of riffing on stress numbers. So in short, uh, what is a stress number? Uh, so there's a lot of movement in the Enneagram, and uh, we have availability to sort of pick up behavior from other types. And um, when we are in stress, uh, we consistently move and pick up behavior from one particular type. Each type picks up behavior from a different type and um that that can be done in a really healthy way that can be done in an unhealthy way we can get really good things there we can get really bad things there and it's it's sort of like like finding ourselves in a new new situation we try to pick up other tools 
I'm trying to make this quick. If you're not a three, six, or a nine, what happens is when you are in stress, you shut down your primary center. Um, so for sevens, you're going to shut down your head and you're going to push into action in your heart and you're going to take on the characteristics of a one who ones intuit their feelings. That's how they are in the world. For, uh, for myself, I go to four, I shut down action and I start thinking about my emotions. And that's, I think the best way to think about stress numbers now is that what you're really doing is shutting down your primary center. For three sixes and nines, and TJ can build on this, I think it's that you're shutting down your motive. And three sixes and nines, I think when in stress, will shut down their motive and go to a number in which they almost take on a different kind of motive. Um, so the three who wants lots of attention when in stress doesn't want any attention anymore. Now they just want to be peaceful. The nine doesn't necessarily need to make things calm anymore because that hasn't been working and they go to six space and get a lot more active in a reactive kind of way to the world around them. I, I think that's uh, that taps into a, a lot of the like the, the healthy response. Like like when we do that, when we recognize ourselves in stress, we have access to that and, and we can sort of set aside our primary motive with the tools that are available at, at our stress point. Um, sixes who uh, just want to be safe and some let let someone else tell them how to <laughs> how to be safe and and be protected the in going to 3 it it's like there's you you can do it you can do it by yourself um yeah yeah and and let go of a lot of that self doubt um because there's work to do um but i i think it is all about uh for every type it is all about picking up other tools because what you're used to isn't working. Right. To, mm. to double down on that, like there's something about our stress number that is paired with us bailing our primary motive. I, I, I'm, I'm still looking for language here, but if our motive and way of being in the world was working to solve our problems, we wouldn't get stressed out. We get stressed out because stuff isn't working in this space. And so it's almost like, you know, it's it's like the uh, the velociraptors testing all the places and the fences, you know, is it where we gotta try we gotta try some some other ways of being in order to fix this? And when we get real stressed out, it seems like you're intuitively we might say, I need to shut down this part that I'm is is normally my go to, and use some other some tools without it. I have an intuition that that's what that that is but we're still working out we're going to do a conference on this in two months this, i was saving it yeah. for january i'm going to do this study <laughs> it's gonna be great but this uh and hearing you guys just talk about stress number for me stress number was one of the things to go back to the previous question identifying the the stress move sold me on mm -hmm. what type yeah. i am sure you know when you start looking at the enneagram as a system for exposing your shadow and you learn of the sins and the fixations and then see what you do when you're at a low point. Um, for me, that indulgence in seven and order in one um, sold. That's when I was so sold on typing and then the, the security move too. Um, which next note, 
what is your security number? So uh, these, this is all sort of moving in the opposite direction. So if, if you ever look at the symbol, that's what these all of these lines are, is, is one direction from each type is a, a stress move, and the other direction is a security move. And that's sort of like like when you're in the ruts of life, when you know what's going on, when, when you feel comfortable, not necessarily when you're doing really well, but when you sort of feel like you're doing well, um, th- there are tools available to you at the other at the other type at um to you know help you have more fun help you have help you do something better about whatever it is you're trying to accomplish we like the term security and that integration here because what's really happened is that you have fulfilled your motive somehow and that's why you feel secure so for me as one I feel like I'm good and in control that's a that's that's all I really want in life and all of a sudden, I feel good, and because my motive has been checkmarked, as it were, I can bail my motive in the same way that I bail my motive when I go to stress. Now I'm kind of bailing my motive when I have had it fulfilled because it's not, no longer checkmarkable. So what are we going to do now? And I move in that way towards seven, and what happens in seven space, I need to remind myself of this truth of all the numbers, but my repressed center really comes up. So I'm thinking repressed. But when I move to seven, my, think, my thinking repression kind of goes away. This may not work for sevens and for twos. I think every other number, their, their repressed center elevates in there. I think that's accurate. Yeah, it might not work for the shock points as well. It does. So there's something, there's something about that. Like, the again, if we're heart, mind, and body... And it, it, it's sort of like if you feel like you have the thing that you're driving at, then you don't have to work to get it anymore. So there's like what what else are you going to do now? Yeah. Um, so so for for ones who are trying to make everything better and, and like improve the space around them and, and themselves and, and whatnot, like when when they feel like that work is something they don't have to be doing right now, then they can actually go to seven and find find joy, find more opportunity, find find new things to do. They don't have to keep working on the thing in front of them because they can go find something more. I assume for sevens you're you have all the options out there, but if you've if you are actually feeling safe and not needing to ensure that safety is primary and I always have a new island to jump to it will allow your mind, again, here's kind of the energy thing, it allows your mind to go from being spastic and all over the place to really centering because you don't need to worry about where am I going to jump. Since that's taken off the table, you feel safe. So all of your mental energy can begin to hone. And that sure looks like five space to me. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I'm healthy when I finish a book. Huh? Yeah, you know, Com- because, completing tasks. Yeah. Um, and staying focused in one domain for long enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I I love to get excited about topics and buy books and then get into them. And then before you know it, you're excited about another topic. So, yeah, when you have enough time and satisfaction to not see the next shiny object, that is indeed when you can move to five in a healthy way. might be worth talking about how security and health aren't always the same thing. It is the case in, in what you're saying is, is, is spot on. But you feel good finishing the book and are naming it as health. Mm. 
whereas something has happened to get you to the spot where you're able to focus. Yeah. Oh, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think I moved to five in unhealthy ways more than I moved to one in unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? Yeah. The, like, I think that the stress and security, and you guys, I think this is totally up in the air, but I think I anybody can move to stress or security in healthy or unhealthy ways, and I just tend to move to one more effectively than I move to five. Tend to move to mm-hmm. security, or tend to move to stress more effectively than I move to security. Yeah, it's a right. tool. Yeah. And so we have these two numbers that we can move to in stress and security. We also, we also have two numbers on either side of our number, which are the wings. Yep. Um, briefly, what are wings and do they matter? Uh, they are the, the type on either side of you, and they can add some flavor to your particular type. Like there's... There's nine billion people in the, nine. Are we at nine yet? Or there's nine <laughs> billion people in the world, and and there's a hundred been a hundred and eight billion souls in in the history of humanity, and and uh, if there's only nine types, we have to figure out how to how to distinguish each individual person somehow. So wings are part of what adds flavor, and um, and at at their most basic, that's that's what they are. At their uh, once you start to get into a little bit more like intentional what are the wings i think they they add some nuance and add some real um, like you get more opportunity to draw on some tools that are on either side of you Um, ultimately they are simultaneously way less important than a lot of people make them out to be and also they're a significant part of who you are and who you might be if I were studying wings for the first time, the thing I'd do is I'd find the list of the sins and the list of the virtues. And I think those are the places that you really can find value in studying wings. Wings are balancing points. So you have two wings. As a seven, you have an eight wing and you have a six wing. And they're, they are tools to push into in exactly the same way as your stress number. It's also the case, however, in my experience that our wings also have a sinister side. I struggle with the pride of two, and I also struggle with the sloth of nine as a one. And I need to know that about myself, that I am struggling with with um, not just the sin of ones, which is anger, anger at myself, but I also struggle with pride in that I've done so much for these people that um, characterizes twos. And I also struggle with the, the inactivity of, of nineness and the sloth of, of not caring about what's important at times. And that can be very helpful to know. It's also very helpful to be able to list the virtues of, of your wings because those are tools that you can, you can grab hold of as well. Jeff's a peacemaker in his family. Right. So uh, obvious follow-up is, uh, in, in short, what are subtypes and how important are those? Uh, so subtypes are sort of like dividing the pie a little bit further. It, and it's, it's like our, our, the way that we instinctually put our energy out into the world, or the, how, we, how we use our energy to gain our primary motive. Um, they, the three main subtypes are uh, self-preservation, like what my primary motive is about me and myself and the space immediately around me. Uh, social 
which is my main motivation is going to be about my place in the group and the group as a whole. And then sexual or one-to-one is about me and one other person and, and whoever is in front of me and, and my, my partner or my, the, my closest coworker or me and my kid or whatever, whoever is the person that is closest to me at that particular moment, that's where my energy is going to focus is on that relationship. I love this idea that uh, subtypes are the relational energy that you have that allows you to get what you want. And so you have a motive. That's what Angram's about. But there's a relational dynamic to all of us. And so we have a relationship with the wider group. We have a relationship with just the people in front of us. And we have a relationship with ourselves. And just being able to name that can be valuable. Some of us will push really hard into one of those three. Or we will feel most comfortable in one of those areas. And if somebody uses the term subtype, what they're saying is you are the type of person who really pushes towards the community or you're really you're really the type of person who pushes towards one-on-one interactions tj and i hold the the view that we have some preferences but it's not part of our type it's much more like tools that we can use or we stole the illustration from sean palmer which is it's more like rooms that you go into to get the thing that you need to sometimes you don't go to the basement but it's there and sometimes it's important When you need to do laundry, you have to go into the basement, but you don't need to do laundry all the time every day. So some people don't like being around big crowds, but sometimes you got to be a part of the 10 person community or you got to go to Christmas dinner. And and so you got to, you know, put it into gear and engage that part of yourself. Mm. Some people love Christmas dinner, you know, yeah, (laughs) and that's their wheelhouse. And that would be their quote unquote, that would be their instinct. That'd be their subtype. They would be more of a social type. So for me, like 80% of the time when somebody new is, or somebody's just getting into the Enneagram, they really want to figure out their type, their dominant wing, and their subtype. And that's the first thing that they mm-hmm. want to work on. Yeah. Um, I would say, is that a mistake for people? Sh- and, and should they be focusing on something else? Could they be putting themselves in a box? When when this issue comes up, I usually tell people, don't worry about wings because they're not as important as you're making them. And don't worry about subtypes because it's just going to make everything muddy. Figure out your primary type and, and stay there for a really long time. Your wings offer flavor, but they're not as they're not as important. It, with a handful of exceptions, they're not as important as people make them out to be. And this is just part of the language of the trendiness of it is like you can take the test and learn your dominant wing and your subtype and blah, blah, blah. But the tests don't mean anything anyway. So I, it, it's all just, it's unhelpful distractions trying to like figure out which group you fit in where what you should really be doing is figuring out how your type has informed your personality. If I got really into personal finance and the first thing I wanted to do was study how to get out of capital gains taxes, it might be kind of strange. It's like, let's make sure you got a budget first and that you're actually putting some money away and that you might have something to sell at a profit such that you could actually eventually be doing so well financially where you might have to worry about capital gains tax. Mm. But that's kind of how I feel about them as well. It's like it's it's stuff that's just way down the road uh, if you if you're going to use the tool in really effective ways. If it helps, you know, hook you, I'm down with that. Like if if it's helpful for your for me, I'm a you know one wing nine with a sexual subtype. 
if that if that helps me get into it, then then great, I suppose. But it does make things muddy. Um, the better places to focus, as we've kind of say, is if you can name you know your healthiest self, if you can name your shadow, if you can shore up your oppressed center with uh, with the information. Those are those are the places to go. And again, I suppose we did a podcast on this. It's just a standalone. It's we couldn't make it into a book. It would be kind of strange. So we got a podcast that's just called Start Here, and the last seven episodes are just the steps. But going step by step, I think I think is our our steps. I think are just a better way to go on this front. It's also the case that we are uh, there's there's different schools of thought about whether wings and subtypes are fixed, and we do not believe that they're fixed. So to say that I am a a nine with a one wing is is technically false right. in my the way that I see the system. I, I believe that I have both wings and I have access to both of them. Um, and to say that like I am I am for sure primarily a, a self-preservation type, but I have access to all of those things and I'm not self-preservation 100% of the time. So it, it's not helpful to me to to put these definitive labels on something that I do not think is fixed. Yeah, I suppose what could happen, this might be helpful, is if somebody told took the test and it told you your wing, what it's really doing is exposing where you're out of balance. And so this mm-hmm. is actually, yeah. it's not that this is your identity, but this is where you really need to work. You need to push into your other wing more, one. And two, this is, a, this is showing like the, the social, relational place that you commonly go to get what you want. Mm. And perhaps you, it, balance would mean widening that, stretching that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, not a good thing to say this is my identity. The, for TJ and I, the whole point, really of Enneagram is finding balance that you have tools in your stress number, your security number, and your wings. You have tools there to find health and happiness. And that prime and a, a real name for what that looks like is is something like balance. Yeah. Um to borrow Spanish verbs, it's it's a stoy, not soy. It's uh you know, <laughs> where you temporarily are, not where you are um eternally. Uh. Um yeah, and, and this uh, this is a problem that pops up um, to pull back from personal training for several years. I mean, everyone wants to know their exact body composition, their VO two max. They want to focus on high intensity interval training and yeah. getting into ketosis before they think about could I eat uh, three healthy meals a day? <laughs> like, could right. and it's it's a really easy way to miss the mark on the hard work. I mean, it's it's way harder to look yeah. at. For me, it's way easier to try to figure out seven wing, eight social. Like that's way easier than fears, fixations, heart's message, holy ideas. Um, that's that's hard stuff that um, you generally want to avoid. Yeah. Well, and and notice here that you're also saying like that that there's a difference between the uh, figuring out the tough work and doing something that you don't want to do. Like that, like figuring out your real subtype, figuring out like where and when you lean into which wing. Like th- this is this is tough work that you should be doing in community with people that you really care about, and and it's going to potentially take years of of introspection. But it's not emotionally hard. Like it it's 
easier than facing the hardest things about your like the the darkest things about yourself. And for sevens, it it might be easier. Like for for some types, it might be easier to do this kind of hard work versus this other kind of hard work. I imagine there's something to be said on on this front of just wanting some attention or just wanting to perhaps to know about yourself at a certain level and it's or to be part of the cool kids yeah. club. Everyone's talking about the Enneagram and everyone knows their wing. I better make sure I know my wing so when I tell people they don't think I don't know what yeah. I'm talking about. So, no judgment. This is I suppose more for teachers. If you're teaching this stuff, go ahead and nine is plenty. Nine is plenty. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There, there are so many questions. Like when you immediately show people about the, you know, discuss it. It's, it's hard for people to wrap their heads around nine types being able to define all of right. humanity. Um, and we don't really need to go there, but uh, we can if you think it's a worthwhile explanation as to how nine types can explain all of the people. Sure. Right. All language categorizes, and it takes really big things, lots of tables all become this one word, you know, you know, lots of books out there, but they all are specified as a book with this one word. And that's all that the Enneagram is doing. It's just giving a very clean, quick name to something, our motive, that many of us, you know, experience and can talk about. The If you were to look at colors, there are countless shades of red, but the word red is really valuable, you know. Um, if you are a musician and you play a C, are you playing it through a tuba? Are you playing it through a, on a xylophone? Are you playing it, you know, in the upper register, the lower register? Well, the C doesn't specify all the possible countless variations of C, but it's still a really useful term. And if you start doing music theory, you're going to learn here are the notes. You get your head around the notes and how they they interact with each other, and then you can apply it to the specific instrument that you play, which is, and that's how Enneagram works in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, we've talked a lot about wings. We've talked about subtypes, and and these are good ways of of like really quickly drilling into like if if you really want to get into that type of like specificity, then. A, a nine within a strong eight wing who is also self-preserving is different from the other options for that wing and different from the other options for the other wing. And, and, and then like you keep expanding and there's, there's actually 108 types and, um, and the, the more you get into just, just understanding the dynamism, there's, there's, there's farther to drill down and, the idea that there's 108 billion souls, 9 billion people on the planet now, but there's only nine different types. It's not necessarily that there are nine types of people. It's that there's nine ways of seeing. There's nine primary motivations. And even some of those are, are really related to each other because you could, you could shrink it further into there's three intelligence centers and uh, there's three stances. There's three ways of looking at, at time. And once you start to fold all of this onto each other, it, it gets really expansive in and of itself. And then you remember that all, we're also shaped and the armor that we're putting on is shaped by different hands and, and our circumstances and our culture and the values of our family and all of these other things, which means that 
at 37, TJ Wilson is a particular person because of my type and also all of the things that have happened to me in my life, regardless of, and all of the things that happen into the life of the people that impacted me in my life, my parents, my teachers, my, my sister, my, my partner, my best friend, like all of those people impacted me significantly and, and got me to this place. So reality is just so much more complicated than, than we give it credit for sometimes. And, and the idea that there's only nine ways of seeing is just like this little tiny speck of the complexity of the individual person. And yeah, it's important to say this is, this is a person that would be, I'm categorizing you with that word. You're not a cat. You're not a tree. You know, uh, it's not taking away from your humanity. Actually, it's saying you're a human being (laughs) to say you're a person, but so too the numbers. It's it's just a name for motive, but it's a helpful name. It's all language in some sense is a tool uh, you pull out your Foucault. It's all it's all about having control over your environment and yourself, yeah. and and that can be incredibly beneficial, you know. Yeah. Or it can be weaponized. I suppose if you really want to <laughs> dive into Foucault, you can you can take all this material and hurt somebody with it. That was a side note. I didn't <laughs> mean to go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> now, question in in just being enthusiastic about this uh, and trying to tight people I see on TV, um, you know, not people that I actually know. Is it harder to type very healthy people or very unhealthy people? I think it's a lot harder to type really healthy people uh, because health includes maturity and balance and integration and and a lot of the things that we've talked about that are sort of goals of our um of this work, uh, and, and if you're aiming in that direction, then then you're going to become a more whole person, and, and it's going to be harder to see the uh, the the layers that you had put on. And and unhealth, I think, is it showcases a lot of the things that are much more visible about type. Um, the 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 sins come out in a lot in much bigger ways. The um, the fixations are, are more present. The the ways that we express and lean into our unhealth, I think, are are usually more visible and and more recognizable from the outside. But I I I definitely would not say that that is a hundred percent. This will always work kind of rule. I agree. This is also perhaps one of the reasons why people think that the goal is to get rid of your number is because when they look at healthy people, they're very hard to type. So clearly they've gotten rid of their number. I can't, I don't even know what type they are. And that may be, um, you know, uh, that might be a reason why we have that view of, uh, of the Enneagram itself. But mm-hmm. in my experience, the people who are healthiest, they still have motives. They're tempered, balanced motives, but the motive of a very, very healthy seven is still going to be different from the motive of a very, very, very healthy six. Yeah. Mm. Spot on. Um, so maybe to round this out, we could as quickly as we can. So I think it might be interesting to try going around the circle and say if an average health Enneagram number wanted to just get a little better in their Enneagram health this year, what's one thing they could maybe focus on as a as a focal point for improvement? Um, and I think we could do this like pretty quickly in a sentence, hopefully, and not elaborate too much. But, you know, say, um, stop me if this doesn't sound like a good idea. But like, say if in 
average health Enneagram one wanted to improve themselves using the Enneagram a little bit this year? Like what would be one area to focus on? Uh, twofold. One, we, we have that podcast steps, which is a great place to jump in. But if I, if I was, we actually were going to record, perhaps we'll do this a little bit more elaborately on something of exactly the sort where I thought focusing on your hazards is a great place to start. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, for all types, um, uh, one of my constant refrains is stance work, getting in touch with your uh, repress center. Um, and, and for ones, that would be uh, thinking and, and working on productive thinking. Uh, but uh, so all types, I think, can do stance work. And I think that is work that we'll be doing for the rest of our lives. Mm. Stance work is always going to be worthwhile. And by stance work, we mean you have a repressed center. And really working on your repressed center matters. And so actually the three of us are different. So I really need to work on thinking and ways to get my head around things. Ones, twos, and sixes all need to work on productive thinking. TJ is a nine alongside fours and fives, getting their bodies engaged in things that are valuable and that matter. And for Chase is a seven, eights and threes likewise are feeling repressed. Finding those ways of getting productive thinking about your emotional life, the whole kaleidoscopic beauties of all your feelings and getting language for your inner emotions and the emotions of others can be incredibly valuable. Awesome. Yeah. So stance work, step one. Yeah. (laughs) As the new year rolls. Awesome. Um, I guess uh, one concluding question, and you can take this personally or for every, you know, or communally, but I guess what is the ultimate goal of continuing to study the Enneagram for so many years? I think that we are not ever finished. Uh, We as human beings, we're constantly moving in a direction and uh, we, we will never be finished. We will never be perfected. We'll never be, um, completed works and and that means that for our entire lives we have work that we can do we can always be be a little bit better Mm. as we change the enneagram continues to offer a dynamic pathway toward change and growth and and continuing to become a more whole person who is good to my family good my friends a good employee good employer or whatever a good steward of the world interacting in ways that are helpful and move everything toward a, a, a better whole. Yeah, it brings it full circle for me. The reason I keep studying Enneagram is, well, you are aiming at happiness. Everything you do aims at happiness. Every person that's ever existed, all they're aiming at is happiness. There's lots of miserable people in our world. They're not hitting happiness. They're not actually grabbing hold of happiness. The question is, what does it look like for you to be happy? And in my experience, and when I look at people who appear to be happy, it seems like they're emotionally sound. They, they got their relationships are, are healthy. They have some real self-understanding. All of these things are enhanced by the Enneagram. So I suppose I'm looking forward in the next 10 years to, to getting a little bit more detailed understanding of Enneagram stuff to start applying it to different arenas that I haven't before, um, to, to really start using it to ask other people questions about themselves and strengthen relationships because it's a great gateway for me to connect with others as they talk about their own inner life. All of those, I think, lead to me being a, a happier, healthier person. Awesome. Yeah, shows you what to work on. Yeah. I'm going to take the steering wheel back, I suppose, because we, we need to land the plane, yeah? Yeah. Chase, you're the man. 
thank you so much for leading us in some questions. But I, we've been talking a lot. Before we, we sign off, anything on your mind, Jason? Anything we're saying before we, we land the plane? Um, no, just uh, thank you guys so much for doing what you do. Um, I think it's just it's, it's more of an honor to me than it, than it is to you. I mean, these are the questions that I want to ask you guys anyway. So I have the platform to come on here and hear um, two of my favorite Enneagram people talk about the Enneagram. So um, this has been a blessing and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing where things go for Around the Circle in all of the years to come. Come on. Yeah, us too. So I got, you got anything else, TJ? I got nothing. This has been an, uh, I guess... I can't follow. I got nothing with the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this has been a blast. Uh, I've, I, I, I appreciate your your thoughts about this and, and bringing a, a new kind of perspective and on what kind of questions need to be asked. And, uh, yeah, this has been great. As we sign off, obviously, we always appreciate stars on Spotify or iTunes. You can find um, all of our work. And we have about 100 episodes, obviously, on this feed, but we have a second feed called Start Here, which for you or others who are just getting into the material, that's a great place to begin. Um, music is by The Collection and by the Brian Claxton. And uh, if you are in the Colorado area, the first weekend of Feb- February, we're going to be doing a conference in Greeley, Colorado on stress and security. And you can find all the information for that. And for our monthly gatherings, which Chase mentioned, we do monthly gatherings online. All of that is at aroundthecircle.org. And that's what I got. He's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. Chase, you need a moniker. I need to think one up. I wasn't prepared. I was. This is the first time I mentioned this offline. This is the first time I've come to one of these podcasts with no notes. Just like, eh, this is going to be fun. We're just going to talk. And anyway, that's what I got. So no moniker. That, that would have taken, you know, I can't just screw around there. Hey, Kevin. Yes. You're going to be known for this for the next seven years as you as we have you on as a guest. The, the so man with no moniker? The man with no moniker. There we go. There it is. <laughs> Chase Barron, the man with no moniker. It's TJ Wilson. He's officially awesome. I'm Jeff Cook. Who you aren't isn't interesting. <laughs> and when you take the wheel from somebody, don't crash into a tree. Hey, we landed. <laughs> We're all just along for the ride, so you got us there.